Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. All right, guys, and thank you for joining us today on Bear Archery's Hunting 101. I've got a special guest, Cuz Strickland from Mossy Oak. Cuz, how are you, man? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Dylan? Man, I am absolutely wonderful, and I am excited. We're going to be talking about the rut, um, and I'm excited because, you know, it's only about a month and a half away now. Um, so I'm getting excited and uh, starting to get some some bucks on camera. So it's an exciting time of the year. It is. I used to think the rut was a myth being a Mississippi boy, but as I got to travel around out in the Midwest and up north, I, I learned it really is such a thing. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I was the same way, you know, growing up in, in Arkansas, I uh, I felt the same way. Uh, you know, deer don't respond to decoys well, um, at least where I hunted. They didn't respond to decoys well. You couldn't call much. Um, then I moved to Kansas, and uh, it was a different ball game entirely. So uh, I'm excited. Uh, before we dive in, give us a quick introduction to yourself and what all you do there at Mossy Oak. Well, my, uh, I've been here 33 years. My official title is Senior Vice President, but for 25 years I produced all the television uh, and the early videos, you know, we had uh, we aired our first television show. I think it was in 1994 on TNN, which is probably before your time. But the National Network was a really big deal. There weren't many hunting shows out there. It was mostly fishing shows when we came on. And so I produced television for 25 years. We also did uh, a big line of videos, you know, deer school and turkey school and predator tapes and waterfowl. And before that, I did the original truth series for Primos, which kind of became a cult thing, but that was mostly turkey. So I, I've kind of been in the production business and uh, here lately, a younger group has taken over that. You know, so, so much has turned over to Vehicles like this podcast, you know, I'm actually doing a podcast for the Mossy Oak Properties people called A Fistful of Dirt, and uh, I still do a lot of social media. I made up my mind I was going to be the the old guy that was cool enough to figure some of that out, so I dove in <clears throat> with both feet into the social media world, and I have a YouTube channel and I'm trying to keep up because I... Uh, I have found out that young people, they like some how-to from time to time. It's very popular, especially if they think the person, you know, divvying down the information has kind of earned their stripes, so to speak. But, yeah, my background was mostly television, thank goodness, because, I, like I said, I got to see some of the real rut activity in other places. 
and you have certainly earned your stripes. And that's why I love talking to gentlemen like yourself, uh, people I can learn from and just glean knowledge from. And so I'm excited to have you on the show, man. Uh, I, I always love when I get to uh, have somebody on the show that I grew up watching on TV. And that was that was you for me. So it is an absolute pleasure to have you on, and I can't wait uh, to hopefully gain some rut knowledge from you. So um, let's dive in, man. Before we do, I do want to give a quick thank you to some of our friends over at Nexus Outdoors. Uh, they produce the scent lock clothing, which is just absolutely incredible. And obviously it comes in mossy oak, which is an, an, another added bonus. Uh, but also their line of, of ozone products called Oz is just absolutely hands down incredible. And uh, we're currently doing a giveaway right now, and in that giveaway is a Radial Nano from Oz. So make sure and get entered to win that giveaway. I'll give you some more details here in just a little while. But uh, let's dive in, man, and let's talk hunting the rut. Like you said, uh, some states, the rut really doesn't hit like it does in others. Um, Why do you feel like states, like you mentioned, um, don't experience the rut activity as others do? Well, you know, down here in Mississippi, it's uh, it's it's really different, and there's a lot of things that go into it down here. I got a buddy that lives in Florida, Jacksonville, Florida, runs D Dot Timber Company down there, uh, and their rut started about a week ago, and it's it's really really hot down there, and you would scratch your head thinking that doesn't make any sense, but Mother Nature's really smart. And the reason they rut their their birth cycle is to where it won't be so blazing hot during the middle of the summer when the fawns are born. It's it's crazy. Down here, I've learned in Mississippi, you know, I was born and raised in Mississippi down in the kind of the southwest part. I live up in the northeast part now, but the, the rut was kind of taking place anyway. The terrain makes it where you can't see it like you can in Kansas, or you can't see it like you do in Texas or Iowa, places like that, our, our timber or our woods and cutovers and thickets are so dense down here. It's like that's going on, but you can't see it all the time. You can kind of hear it. But uh, I finally learned if you want to know exactly when your rut is, you know, the best person to ask is the guy who runs the deer processing plant. Because he's he, he don't have any skin in the game. He's not trying to sell anything. But if you'll make friends with him, he can tell you exactly when the big deer come in every year. That's priceless information for wherever you are. I don't care if you're in Arkansas or Mississippi or Montana. Wherever you are, the deer processor is going to get the biggest deer in during the rut. And so you kind of need to plan your your activities then you know if you want to take off a week or three or four days you don't set it to me you don't necessarily set it by the moon phase or you know this guy says this this is the rut you go to that guy that processes deer meat and he'll tell you exactly when the rut is yeah and i uh you know more of a uh more of a redneck unofficial way um is watch the side of your road when you're driving down the road. When you start seeing a lot of dead deer on the side of the road, uh, when deer are starting to act a little nutty and jump in front of cars more often, uh, it's a good indication that uh, that rut is starting to come into play. So I like to watch this. this, My my friend's dad growing up told me one time, he said, I was headed out to to somewhere, you know, up in the mountains, and I started driving. I think he said he was headed camping. 
and he started driving and he said, I, you know, I, I passed a buck on the side of the road dead and then I passed a doe and then later on I passed a buck. And uh, he said, I turned around and went home and got my gun and got dressed and I went hunting that night. Yeah. Uh, cause that's a, that's a good indication that deer are starting to, to, uh, to not think clearly. And so they're, they're, you know, they're running out in front of cars and, and, uh, just acting, acting silly. So, uh, that's more of a unofficial redneck way of telling the ruts kind of going on now. But, uh, now with the, with the rut beginning, uh, how do you start to change the way that you approach hunting? Well, you know, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about hunting, archery hunting on my farm in Mississippi because I've been in I've been in the rut everywhere else. Uh, you know, I used to go to Pike County, Illinois, every year before it got to be like Las Vegas. I mean, it's so busy up there now; it's crazy. But to get ready for the rut on my farm down here, I know exactly when it is. It's gonna be between December the 10th and December the 25th sometime in there is the peak and i have the luxury of having trail cameras and you know which has probably changed hunting more than anything but i also live there so i know after 15 years exactly when it is and the only thing i do is i kind of like I, I got three grandsons who love to hunt i got two daughters who will go two son-in-laws my wife will go from time to time and i really try to minimize the pressure leading up to there because it's all about the does where we are. It's hard to get that population in check like you want it. I'm never going to have a a one-to-one or a two-to-one. We have way more does than we do. So the bucks are going to follow the does, and I want I don't want to affect their whatever their routine is at all, as much or as little as possible, you know, because down here right now, a lot of it's about food plots and where they feed and stuff like that. So Getting up to that first week in December, I don't. We'll bow hunt really hard in October because the the grandkids are fired up about it. Well, heck, I'm fired up about it. But you know that that toward the, you know the the middle to the end of November, I try, and that's when our gun season opens. I try to kind of tone it down a little bit, maybe check those cameras one more time because that's when down here these these deer are just terribly nocturnal the bucks are and why i don't know i don't have that much pressure on my farm they're just like vampires man they they do not want to move much in the daylight so it's real important to try to keep that pressure down and be sitting there you know if they do follow one out and the the three or four biggest deer we've killed on my farm have been between december within a day or two of christmas like December the 21st, December the 22nd, or the 24th. So I just kind of try to minimize the pressure, you know, to keep the does coming to wherever they're at. Uh, that's the main right. thing. And, uh, of course, it's different in the Midwest. You know, it can be uh, in the Midwest where you live now, uh, God bless Kansas and Iowa and northern Missouri, all those kind of places. But in my experience up there filming other people during the rut, Man, I didn't see anywhere near as many deer. I, I think the ratios, the buck-to-doe ratios, better up there for whatever reason. It's not as heavily populated as, say, Arkansas or Mississippi. And I think you get in that lockdown deal where a buck gets on a doe and won't move, and you just you don't see as much deer movement. So I, I don't mind the rut down here in the south. It's pretty cool. 
Yeah, and you, uh, you know, it's funny that you, uh, it's funny that you said December, and that goes right back to understanding when the rut is going to take place where you're at. Uh, because if 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 you were to ask me when is the rut going to happen, I would say November third, fourth, fifth through November. 14th, 15th, 16th, um, somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, and so, so it's interesting to know that, that you push yours an entire month back because November is the time where I'm taking off work and I'm going to be in the deer woods and you're saying your deer are locked down in November. Uh, well, October they're locked down here. So everything happens literally a whole month ahead of yours here. Um, you know, they, they, I saw a study, and I think it was QDMA, and they they ask ten, you know, quote unquote, big buck killers. Um, if you could pick one day to hunt, what day would that be? And I think like five of the six said November seventh. Yeah, they they all said that that particular date. Um, and uh, four years ago, this November, my my daughter was born on November seventh. So I just thought, how bad of a stinking day <laughs> could I have picked? Yeah to have a child and I'm literally sitting in the hospital, you know, with my wife and my newborn. And I, I can't tell you in, the, in those three days in the hospital, I think I got like 10 or 12 pictures from friends of a big buck being harvested. Um, and I'm just thinking you gotta be stinking kidding me. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's when I would nail it down here. Um, that's when I would, that's when I would pick. Um, but like you said, use your resources, ask your friends, ask your butchers, ask your taxidermists, ask those people, uh, when do you see the big deer rolling in? When, when is that time where they're fired up? When's that time they're, they're coming in? Now, if you're hunting somewhere new, so for instance, if I wanted to, to travel to Mississippi and hunt, how do you go about, you know, if you don't live there, if you're not in the know all the time, how do you go about understanding quickly, are these deer fired up in the rut? Or, or are they on lockdown or, you know, how do you go about figuring that out uh, when you get there to hunt? Well, I mean, again, you can ask the, the meat processor go online. Our game and fish department has a pretty good calendar on their website of, and even in, you know, by state, it's regional in each state up here. If I had to pick one day to hunt, I, you were talking about the guys would pick November 7th. There's two days in my mind and I've been doing this a long time. To kill a big deer. It's opening day. I don't care what it is. It's October the 1st down here or like the last day of the season, January 31st. Those are the two best times. Deer are very undisturbed and on October the 1st, if you got any idea where they're at. And even if the bucks are still in bachelor groups, they'll move even when it's warm, you know, because they're used to it. And when the, when the, the, the big deal about when it's warm down south is – it's been warm and they're used to it. It ain't like having a, a warm, hot temperature day in November, December when they've got that heavy coat on. Yes, that'll shut them down. But that first week in October when they hadn't been bothered, they'll move right before dark. And if you know where one's at, man, that's a great time. So your odds are really high for first part of October. Yeah. And again, Late in the year, and I know you see that in Kansas and everywhere else, you know, because it's all about their their food then. But yeah, if you got to find out down here what's going on, I'm telling you, you can't beat the information from a deer processor, and they're very willing to give you that info. And uh, like I say, they they don't have any skin in the game; they just tell you what's going on. So if you want to hunt the rut in the south, you need to ask somebody from that region because it'll down in South Mississippi, it's different. 
It's like Texas. Texas is so big. We used to go out there all the time. And there's like five different ruts out there. You know, in uh, the middle of the state in that hill country, it's around Thanksgiving. And if you move up a little bit further north, you know, it's like, no, 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 you need to be here December the 10th, you know. And, and again, in Florida, it's like right now. So it's a very regional thing. Everybody thinks when you you talk about that magical time of the rut, it is like November the whenever, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 7th through the 10th or so. And that's when I would go to film people in like Pike County, Illinois or wherever we were going. But, man, it's different. It changes because, you know, back in the day, they uh, they trapped and relocated deer from different states up north to different places in the south. And I, I'm sure some of that DNA is still around. But And it's a daylight thing, but there's different breeds of deer, different DNA, and they I'm assuming they click at different times. So all I can tell you is where my farm is, it's between December the 10th and the 25th every year, and it has been. Yeah. And that comes from a, that comes from a, just a wealth of knowledge, you know, understanding the places you hunt, understanding your piece of ground, uh, under, you know, if I go home and hunt, you know, with my dad in Arkansas, uh, we, we've had them, like you said, in the rut, um, you know, December 10th, 15th. And, and, uh, you know, we were kind of shocked by it. And, and I remember telling my dad, uh, well, I'm just going to try to cold call a couple times. And, uh, you know, in my Midwest mind of thinking the rut's already over, but why not give it a shot? And so I hit the grunt and a couple bucks bust out of there and come right to it. And, uh, we quickly realized these bucks are in rut right now. Um, and so you just got to understand the piece of ground you're hunting on. And when it goes back to that, you know, for me, it's October for you, it's November, that time of lull where you said they're nocturnal. Um, you know, you hear guys say all the time, well, I'm not going hunting. It's October lull or whatever. Uh, let me just encourage you. Deer still have to eat deer still have to drink deer are still going to move they still have to to function and live so i've killed deer in october i've killed deer uh in the time where they say don't even bother with it man they're they're locked up they're down you know they still have to move they still have to live so the way you hunt them might change a little bit the way that you the places you sit uh on a particular farm might change some but those deer still have to move and they still have to eat and they still have to to drink and so um don't think to yourself, well, I can't hunt. It's October. I can't hunt. It's November, whatever else. Uh, those deer still have to live. Now, let me ask you this. When the rut hits and you know those deer are rutting, uh, how does your tactics change uh, as far as like decoys and calling go? Well, you know, down here, calling's not a, a big deal. Again, it, a lot of that depends on the buck doe ratio, and it'll work. And the reason I know it'll work, it goes back to the terrain thing. I can't, people always go about, man, they love to rattle in Texas. Well, you know, the thing about, and I saw this two or three times right out of the gate when I was lucky enough to start going out there filming, whatever, getting up in big tower stands or in a tree stand if you were lucky enough to have a tree on your Texas hunting spot. But you could, if you were sharp, and you were rattling, or usually the hunter I was filming was rattling, and about nine times out of ten, I'd be facing the other way if I was filming somebody hunting. They, You know, especially if we were, like, in a ladder stand, I'd put a lock on behind him. I'd be just naturally facing the other way. And you could actually see sometimes, if the deer reacted, them circling to get downwind. 
happened dozens and dozens of times where you'd catch movement and I'd start filming that deer. We'd sitting there with the wind in our face and that deer, the buck, you know, a lot of times would be circling to get downwind of you. And I'm like, man, if they did that at home, you'd never see them. So people get discouraged down here, you know, where they, man, that stuff doesn't work. Well, it may be working. You just can't see it because, uh, you know, the terrain is so thick. It's just like calling predators. Uh, I did an interview with Gary Robertson, who just wrote a book called Eyes Front. He was talking about the difference in calling predators in the panhandle of Texas and New Mexico and out there and trying to do it in Mississippi and Alabama. And it was all terrain features. It's the same critter. They act the same. It's just visually you can't see what's going on. So, yeah, if I'm going to do any grunting or stuff, and I look, don't get me wrong, every time I go when the weather starts getting cold, I have a grunt call with me. I always do. Uh, if I'm just letting the grandkids do it for fun, and I've seen, them, I've seen them work, seen them react, come up in there. But the competition level for those is so low where we hunt around here. It may not be as effective, but it does. But anytime a cold snap hits down here, I'm going to have a grunt call with me because these deer are extremely weather fickle because, you know, right now on trail camera pictures, you can see them losing that red coat from the summer and starting to kind of grow in some of that grayish brown. And once they get and you know, that's a different deal. They've got kind of a fur coat on them. <laughs> and when it gets, uh, and it could be 78 or 80 degrees here in December, uh, going to get less deer movement, less reaction and all that. Plus there's probably, seven or eight does to every buck depending on where you're at so they don't have to move and as much but yes when it gets cold and it gets closer to that first week in december man i call all the time because i've seen it be effective so you uh do you do what what i mean for those of you who don't understand what i'm about to refer to is called cold calling meaning you right. don't see a deer uh but yet you still call do you do a lot of cold calling Yes, sir. Same way with turkeys. I mean, a lot of people, I, I do cold calling. I don't like to necessarily call to a deer when I see it. I mean, it's right. especially if I'm up in a tree stand or something like that, they're, they're to me, Toxie Hayes, the guy that found him on, so he's got the best line of all. He's like, man, I don't trust him. That's why he's so intense about camouflage. They can pinpoint that sound. Yeah, I think they can just as good as a turkey. Now, if I got one out there 150 yards going, you know, left to right or something like that, I might grunt once, but I'm going to be real careful of calling attention on myself. I cold call way more than I do to the deer I can actually see. And I'm not going to sit there and call for, you know, 60 seconds or two or three minutes. I'm just going to grunt two or three times and just let it sit. Be patient. Maybe that got his attention. Maybe it didn't, but... I cold call with a grunt call way more than I do when I'm actually looking at a deer. Yeah. Yeah. I will, uh, about every 30 minutes, uh, I'll hit a grunt, maybe a rattle. Um, and man, there's been times where a buck will come in on me while I'm in the middle of a rattle sequence. Um, or while the, while the buck grunts still to my lips, you know, I'll have a buck cruise in on me. Um, but I try to do it about every 30 minutes. Um, and if it's the heat of the rut, I'll tell you right at legal shooting light. I mean, even five minutes before legal shooting light. That way, by the time they get to me, it's legal shooting light. I'll hit that butt grunt, and uh, I found great success in that. And and I found 
I found that I have deer and it's still dark enough to where maybe they won't pinpoint me as much. You know, I'm not going to silhouette as much. Um, so, so right before shooting light or right at shooting light, I'll hit that grunt. Um, and I've just found that, that, uh, that works really well for me. And from that point on, uh, you know, if I'm not seeing deer, uh, you know, I'll grunt and rattle about every 30 minutes. And, uh, I'll tell you this, uh, a little tip for you. If you're going to, if you're going to begin to grunt and rattle, uh, get ready. Um, once you grunt or once you rattle, I would get my hand on my bow and be ready. Um, especially in a state, um, like Kansas or like, you know, Iowa, Illinois, whatever, uh, where deer respond well to calls, I would get ready because they might come in real quick afterwards. Um, I've caught myself, you know, where I, I grunt and rattle and, and, uh, look back down at my phone or something. And, and then there's a big buck standing there. So, um, if you're going to grunt and rattle, you better be ready because they might be coming right around the corner. Now, I also want to say, don't be afraid to grunt and rattle. You know, I, I, I grew up with a dad who preached to me being quiet. And I always told myself when I, when I would think about, why well, maybe I'll do some cold calling. I always thought to myself, what if there's deer right around the corner and I scare them off? Um, and then I started just taking the dive into being vocal, you know, with a, with a, primos doe can or with a grunt call or with a with a rattle bag i I found myself being more aggressive and i found myself seeing more deer um because i had a mind switch i thought to myself well that deer that was right around the corner that i could spook off i could also bring him in um maybe he's not coming my direction and if i hit that grunt now he's headed towards me so don't be afraid to be vocal um, and I would just encourage you to watch videos. You know, if you don't know how to grunt call, if you don't know how to do a rattle sequence, watch videos. YouTube is full of information on how to call. Uh, Primos puts out a lot of good information. Mossy Oak puts out a lot of good information. Uh, a, a ton of guys put out information on how to do uh, effective cold calling with a grunt call or a rattle bag. So dive into those, digest them. You know, when I first started rattling and grunting, um, in a tree a lot, I would be watching these videos on my way to my tree stand. Uh, that way I could be hearing the sounds that they're making. And and I know I want to emulate those when I get to my stand. So, uh, keep yourself familiar with, with how to do those things. Um, before we move on, I do want to give a quick thank you to our friends over at the Pope and Young Club. Now, for guys like me and Ronnie, who are bow hunters, the Pope and Young Club is, they are the voice for us as bow hunters. They're the conscience of us as bow hunters. Um, they work constantly to create new opportunities for us to be bow hunters. There's so much more than just a record book. You know, when we think Pope and Young, we think, well, how many Pope and Young bucks have you killed? But there's so much more than just a record book. They are here to promote, preserve, and protect our passion for bow hunting. So if you're not a member of Pope and Young, I would highly encourage you to become a member of of their club because they are constantly, like I said, working to create new opportunities for us as bow hunters, and they are the conscience for us as bow hunters. So um, go get involved with Pope and Young. Go become a member. Go become a supporter of those guys. Um, Now, my next question for you is decoys. Do you run decoys there? No, you know, that's something I've never gotten into. I've I've done rattling and grunting and used the doe bleats and hadn't done much decoying because, you know, for me, I'd say 95% of my deer hunting, I've, I've always been carrying camera gear. And back in the day, it wasn't as lightweight and compact as it is now. I can go film 
my grandsons or something. I'm going to film a hunt in uh, Kentucky in uh, late October, and I, I'll be able to carry everything I need in my backpack, but it wasn't always like that. So I've always been kind of conscious of how much stuff I have. And, you know, especially on, like, my farm up here in North Mississippi, as soon as you sit down, you're going to have a decoy, a live decoy, out there somewhere close to you anyway. So I've ne- I just got to be honest with you, I've never done much of that. Did it some with pronghorn very successfully. Charlie, and o- Charlie O'Brien, a friend of mine, he was a catcher for the Atlanta Braves when they won the World Series. He and I decoyed some antelope, and uh, he was actually the guy that got me to do more cold calling and stuff. He was one of those guys that got into deer hunting later in life, so he didn't have somebody to imprint him with you got to sit there and don't move, don't bat an eye. And I, man, he came out of the gate, you know, rattling and grunting and has two or three different grunt calls and all that. And I would sit with him thinking, man, this guy's nuts. And But I'm telling you, man, it seems like we always killed a big deer when I was filming him. So hadn't done much decoying, but uh, like I said, people that aren't so set up like me, I learned to deer hunt out in the Homochitta National Forest. And my dad didn't even hunt much. He was a big fisherman. So my deal was finding the best sign I could get, hiding as good as I could, not moving a muscle. And some of the young hunters, they don't have that mindset. And that's one reason why they're so successful. Sometimes they're a little more aggressive than some of the older, uh, you know, I'd say stump sitter kind of guys were. Right. Now, I will say as well, when it comes to decoys, much like we talked about with knowing when the rut takes place, knowing when to call, knowing when not to call, decoys play a huge role in where you're hunting at. You know, if I'm hunting in Arkansas with my dad, I'm probably not going to run decoys. Uh, Much like Ronnie said, the deer are so thick, populations are so heavy, you're probably going to have does out in the field before too long anyways, so just let them be your decoy. Uh, But also, visibility comes into play a decoy doesn't do you any good if a buck can't see it till it's at 30 yards because then you can see the deer at 30 yards as well so um if you're hunting in a place that's thick like arkansas or mississippi or uh, you know anywhere that has real thick cover real thick woods and you know you're going to be in close counters with the deer anyways um if they can't see them from a ways off then that decoy isn't bringing them in anyways they were coming in no matter what so uh, but like here in Kansas, or if you're ho- hunting a wheat field or a bean field or something, if I set up my decoys, I might have a deer see it from 400 yards, you know, 500, 600 right, yards. Right, yeah. Uh, and that, that, and that gives, if I am cold calling, it gives that deer that's out in the field, it gives them a body to put that noise with. Um, so, so if you're going to be cold calling and, and deer can see that decoy from a ways off, I would encourage you to try a decoy. Uh, I would encourage you to try um, a lifelike decoy. Uh, my favorite decoy is is um, the Scar from Primos. Uh, real lifelike decoy. The head bobs, tail blows in the wind. Uh, but it gives that deer, it gives that buck a body to put that grunt to. Um, so if it looks towards you and it doesn't see any other deer, it's going to think, where's that grunt even coming from? But if it sees a, a decoy, it's going to, it's going to automatically assume, well, that's the the buck that's grunting. So, uh, if you're hunting a place where a decoy can be seen from a long ways off, I would, I would definitely recommend you using a decoy. But, um, I think decoys, if you're hunting in close encounters in thick woods, um, 
I think decoys can sometimes do more harm than good because the bucks are already in such close quarters with you um, that they know that they're already close enough to that decoy to realize there's something fishy about it. So um, decoys are heavily, I believe, heavily uh, revolve around where you're hunting at, what kind of what kind of terrain you're hunting in. Um, you know, like with pronghorn, you mentioned pronghorn. The reason pronghorn decoying is so effective is because those pronghorn usually where you're hunting they can see for miles so it gives them something to see from a long way off and and get intrigued by so um i would just encourage you to understand the terrain you're hunting understand where you're hunting and if a deer is going to be able to see this from a long way off um and if you're calling that plays a big role in if you're going to run a decoy or not if you're calling um then a decoy does a good job at uh at helping you with calling much like decoys with with ducks uh you know if you don't have a decoy spread don't duck call because the ducks aren't seeing any birds they're thinking where's that call even coming from there's no birds down there um and if you are running decoys then you need to be calling because those ducks that are sitting on the water would be vocal so um they go hand in hand calling and decoy go hand in hand um now would you ever have you ever seen anybody have you ever dreamed of running decoys outside of the rut or is that strictly a, a rut-specific tactic? Yeah, you know, I don't. Like I say, I don't know that many people. That, I know a lot of people use them, but it's mostly, like you say, it's all about that terrain feature. Same way with turkeys. You know, it makes sense sometimes to have a decoy up there. You know, if you're in a wide-open wheat field or alfalfa or something like that. But uh, I, I personally don't do it. You know, I've always been a... I'm looking for that pinch point kind of thing or the least I, I love to try to trick them fair and square, you know, with camouflage and back cover and stuff like that. So, and again, I'm always carrying so much gear, camera gear usually that uh, it's just hard for me to tote all that kind of stuff right now. I'm sure they could be affected. I mean, they use them everything else. So sometimes they use them with predators. Sometimes they use them with turkeys and, you know, I'm sure it just makes common sense that if they look up there and they can see it, that's going to put them at ease a little bit. But it's just, right. I'm kind of about old school. I like to kind of trick them fair and square. So, and I don't mind calling now, but I just don't carry a decoy much. So, right now, uh, if you would send us off with a, a, a fun um, rut inspired hunting story you got for us. Well, you know, uh, the the one that comes to mind, I was I was hunting up here, and I had just moved up here. I'm from southwest Mississippi, and West Point were, uh, is where Mossy Oak's headquarters are. That's kind of up in the northeast part of the state. And one of the guys that helped start the, the company, his name was Carsey Young. His dad had a really good farm out here near town. And uh, it was kind of during the rut. It was, if I remember, it was like a couple of weeks before Christmas because we had kind of been planning a Christmas party here. So it was probably around December the 10th or something like that. And I was was still bow hunting. Toxie was bow hunting. We all kind of bow hunted down here just because we loved it so much. And back at the time, I had, I don't even remember what kind of bow I had, but I shot my fingers forever. I went to a release just, I don't know, a few years ago. But anyway, we were out on Carsey's farm, and I. this is a crazy story. I found a set of sheds walking into this place. We had hung a stand there, I don't know, a week, maybe a week before. It was a tall, tall ladder stand, and we had hung a bunch of them, but I knew where that one was. And for some reason, while we were fooling around that stand, I didn't see these two shed antlers 
They weren't real big. Anyway, I saw them walking in. It was a coming in, and I was using a flashlight. I picked up both of these sheds, put them in my pack, climbed up. I didn't see anything for the first hour or two, and I got those little shed antlers out. It was a small eight point, started rattling them back and forth. And I had done it maybe twice, and I hear all this commotion, look up, and it's a pretty nice eight point. And it just ran right by me and stopped. I was like, golly, I rattled that deer in. And uh, as I was making a little move, the deer's ears cocked back and it ran off. A few minutes later, I said, well, whatever. I rattled them again. Deer made a circle, came back. And a long story short, I rattled this deer in three times. <laughs> and I was in, like I say, I was in like a 20-foot ladder stand. And by this point, my heart's just pounding. Because every time I rally manners, I can see, I can hear that deer coming. And finally, on a third time, it comes by, you know, in bow range, in decent bow range. And I shot it, whack, and watched it run out there 100 yards and, and fall over. But that's the craziest rut hunt I've ever had that was rattle-induced. And it was in North Mississippi, of all places. Could not believe it. I still got a picture of that deer and me standing over it. In my office right now, it was the craziest thing ever. So you're right. You never know. That was cold calling. It worked three different times. Now, it wasn't no giant 150-inch deer, but it was a good buck. And it's in December in Mississippi with a bow. That's craziness. You know, that would be like doing that in Arkansas. Yeah. And it's I, I like the story the most because you found the antlers on the way in. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's they're, awesome, they're man. Where Matt said, "That's crazy." I, I just, you know, I just threw them in my backpack, and I said, "Well, that's cool." My wife loves shed antlers and turkey feathers and stuff. I was just going to give them to her, and I got bored and started clicking them together, not real loud because they weren't giant. And and dang, if I didn't call that deer in three times, so now you still story. have those sheds, right? I do. They're in my little tool shed out there. I didn't. I don't want. I, I got actually put some leather on them, tied them around them, put electrical tape around them, and they're hanging on the nail in my little workshop out there. So, Man, I'd carry those with me all the time if I was you. <laughs> yeah, I carry something. I got some fake antlers now that kind of fold in and all. They're a lot easier to pack. Again, when you get my age, you, you get way more conscious on weight and how much gear you're carrying, especially when you're guiding, you know, seven and eight and ten-year-olds. It, it gets to be a lot, so. Yeah, I bet, I bet, man. I bet bringing yeah, them is. kids in there adds a ton of weight to you. Um, well, it's fun. It's fun. I mentioned our giveaway, um, and I mentioned us doing a giveaway. And so I want to um, remind you to go get entered to win our giveaway. It is a brand new 2021 Bear Archery Bow fully set up, a Radial Nano from Oz by Scentlock, um, $150 gift card to minus 33 um, and minus 33, Ronnie, you'll appreciate this as well. Uh, also make Merino wool in Mossy Oak. And so that's all you need in life. Um, it is also, you also get, um, an elite subscription to Onyx with some Onyx swag and you will get a, um, Alps Outdoors Traverse EPS pack. So make sure and get in there to win our giveaway. Uh, you can get in there by subscribing to the podcast, uh, subscribing to Bear Archery's YouTube channel, um, and then an entry through Facebook and Instagram. So make sure and get in there to win the giveaway. Now, cuz, what's one tip that you've learned through your years of bow hunting? Well, uh, man, I could talk about that for an hour, but I'll, I'll give you one. I'll give you one quick one, and uh, and it's, it's it's to do with your approach to your stand, especially if you're in a tree stand. 
Uh, I used to hunt with the Wenzels, Gene and Barry Wenzel, and for you youngsters, y'all should Google them sometime and look at some of the information there. Traditional bow hunters, two of the best that ever breathed on this planet. But uh, Barry and Gene were talking to me one time about their approach. They kill a lot of deer in the morning with a bow, and that's hard to do. Number one, it's hard to find a morning spot, you know, that's really that you can get into without blowing your deer out. But Barry made an analogy. He said, look, imagine you're stalking your stand and you're covered in orange paint and everything you touch, you're going to leave orange paint on it. And when you look back, you can see where you're leaving your scent and making noise. So my tip is to make an approach to your morning stand as silent as you can. Like I just put some stands out for my grandkids and I did it two or three weeks ago. I took a leaf blower in there and blew out probably 50, sometimes 100 yards where I could have a silent approach going in there and not making any noise. Because, you know, if people think deer, when you're having a tough year, you think deer live in caves, they live in these big ravines. They're bedded right there where you're at because you're in a good spot. And they can hear any kind of metal clanking and all that. So take extra time and stalk your way in on your approach and be deathly silent. Get in there quiet. Bingo. And my tip, um, my tip for this episode would be, um, an apple, carry an apple with you every hunt. Um, we all like to snack in our tree stand apples. First and foremost, you don't have crunchy wrappers with you. Um, you don't have unnatural odors and scents with you but also apples work as a odor neutralizer um just by their very nature we as bow hunters are so worried about scent and most of your scent comes from your mouth so eating that apple actually helps you cover your scent because apples act as a odor neutralizer so um, that's my tip is apples eat them while you hunt um now you mentioned traditional archery so I do want to give a quick shout out to our friends over at Selway Archery. They make the best quivers for your traditional bows. And even better, they make quivers that are bear archery branded. So if you are a traditional hunter, you're probably familiar with Selway. But I would encourage you to check out Selway quivers because they are absolutely fantastic. I run one on my bow, on my bear grizzly. I run a Selway quiver. And so um, go check out Selway Archery because they are absolutely fantastic quivers ronnie cuz thank you for coming on brother i appreciate it and man i hope you have the best of luck this season and i hope you'll put down a monster like you always do hey well thank you for having me i appreciate it uh i already got some some deer lined up i don't know if uh the buck list will last long enough to get through all my grandkids but i'll be out there giving it a shot so thank you for having <laughs> me i pretty yeah. i appreciate you you got a little more work to do than most of us because you got to get all them grandkids on bucks too. Oh, I know. I know it's a full-time job, and I'm loving every minute of it. So, Listen, if you don't follow Ronnie Cuz Strickland on social media, go follow him. He is a fun guy to follow, always putting out fun videos about his grandkids, always putting out fun videos on his hunts. So go follow Ronnie. Um, guys, thank you for listening. You guys have a great week. <laughs>